Out of all the actors that have ever played the famous masked vigilante, who is your favourite Batman? We've been through quite a range of them, from the original live-action film and series starring Adam West that had quite a unique style as far as modern audiences are concerned. to the very latest in the entire filmography of Batman stories, with Robert Pattinson portraying a younger adult Bruce Wayne in his very early years of being the Caped Crusader, before Gotham even really ever met Batman. Now, unless you live under a rock, or just don't follow Batman or any DC media for that matter, you'll be aware of how much Batman has changed over time, especially on screen. I mean, just going back to Adam West's version, we can see quite a difference compared to Robert Pattinson's Batman. But, the 1960s film and show were much more colourful and comical than what younger audiences today know Batman as. But around that time during Adam West's Batman, it had been a number of years since DC Comics had turned more away from the gritty and sinister approach to Gotham and all of its characters that we know it as now. For those that love the original comic iterations, that was until the 50s, when a book titled The Seduction of the Innocent was released, which argued that DC Comics, and especially the Batman, were too dark for children, and contained explicit content. So from that point on, a lot of comics were written to appear less gritty, and not so true to the original characters, making it more comical and funny for kids. Are you a vocal group? This obviously heavily influenced the style of the 1960s film and series with Adam West's take on the Caped Crusader. Corridor Crew made a great video about this and the different style that the 60s film and series has compared to the films afterwards and go down a rabbit hole of why that is, and with some crazy visual effects work, even try to make it more true to the post-60s comics. If you want to check that out, I'll leave a link in the description. So, for those that love the pre-50s and post-60s comics, Audiences were slightly more impressed than they were with West's version when, in the late 80s, a new creative mind would take the helm of a Batman film. Starring Michael Keaton, and brought to us by the mind behind Beetlejuice, Sleepy Hollow, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Sweeney Todd, the list goes on and on and on. But this of course being Tim Burton. Now, of course, this was actually one of Tim Burton's first features, although he was hired to direct in 1986. Following that, only the treatments and first screenplay were written. It was only until after the success of Beetlejuice in 1988 that gave the green light for the star of production on Batman. The film acted as a new origin story for the character, following Batman as he fought the Joker, played by Jack Nicholson, who was using a chemical agent, Smilex, to make Gotham citizens die laughing. The film also featured Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale, Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon, and Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. Of course we now know Tim Burton for his gothic and fantastical style, but back then, this was his first film like that besides Beetlejuice, so hence Gotham being gothic, Batman was no exception. In this film, Gotham City is depicted as a magnificent art deco metropolis in decline, a glimpse into the city's former style can be seen through the years of decay that Gotham has been through. After years of no development and a lack of upkeep have transformed the city into a dingy, smog-ridden dystopia, barely fit for human occupation. In an interview with Time magazine around the time of the film's release, production designer Anton First described the team's desire to make Gotham the ugliest and bleakest metropolis imaginable. We imagined what New York City might have become without a planning commission. A city run by crime, with a riot of architectural styles, an essay in ugliness, 
as if hell erupted through the pavement and kept on going. This style continued through to Burton's second iteration, with Batman Returns in 1992. The sequel follows Batman as he goes against several new nemeses, the sewer-dwelling Penguin played by Danny DeVito, Catwoman brought to live action again by Michelle Pfeiffer, and the heartless industrialist Max Shrek played by Christopher Walken. In hopes of replicating the success of Batman 1989, Warner Bros repeated their aggressive marketing campaign and convinced Tim Burton to return by giving him much more creative freedom. This allowed him to go even darker with Gotham, bringing a new bleaker grotesque look to characters like Penguin, and diving even deeper than the first film did with its sinister tone, furthering the already dark and sinister Gotham the audiences were introduced to in 1989 creating a Gotham that was scarier to younger audiences, and characters that make you feel uncomfortable and creeped out by, not to mention the ludicrous plans and puzzles that Batman villains set up for him. And maybe not so much for younger audiences, but a ferocious and seductive Catwoman that would use her skills of seduction to create an even more sexually suggestive story. Though, this didn't really sit well with parents. Mm, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. After Batman Returns in 92, many parents wished they hadn't taken their children to see what they thought was a more family-friendly film, but apparently it was a bit much for some. So Warner Brothers decided to turn the dial back slightly, away from the sinister atmosphere and sexual innuendos of the Burton films, and focus on a slightly more comical nature of the 50s and 60s comics, introducing funnier characters that weren't so haunting and grotesque. After Burton stepped down as director, Joel Schumacher was offered to direct the third film, Batman Forever, in 93. Michael Keaton turned down the role after not liking the new script, which made Schumacher cast Val Kilmer after liking his performance in Tombstone. With Schumacher's version, the film had a more light-hearted comedic tone, with references to the William Dozier TV show. This proved popular with audiences at first, with an opening weekend of 50 million, but had mixed reviews amongst critics who thought that the decision to dial back the dark tone was an overcorrection. Interestingly enough, Schumacher was originally interested in exploring the psyche of Bruce Wayne and have him enter a crisis over his role as Batman and guilt over his parents' death. This would have shown him as a much more vulnerable character, grappling with deep personal questions and actually turning to vigilantism as an emotional response to his parents' death instead of as a heroic deed. However, this was dropped at the insistence of Warner Bros, largely because they were dissatisfied with the Batman Returns profits, as well as criticisms that the Burton films were too dark. Nevertheless, it was an overall success, with a global box office of $336 million. After following the success of Batman Forever, later came Batman and Robin in 1997. Josh Schumacher was immediately chosen to direct the sequel after Batman Forever's financial success. Schumacher was given a mandate to make the film more toyetic than its predecessor, while basing its style in the 1960s series and Dick Sprang's illustrations from the comics. After Val Kilmer decided not to reprise his role, as he felt that the character was becoming more marginalised by the villains. Originally Schumacher was interested in casting William Baldwin, before later George Clooney won the role. Batman and Robin was a moderate box office success, however it was a critical failure. Schumacher made the argument that many of the questionable filming decisions he made were at the direction of Warner Bros, who wanted to further merchandising sales, requesting as many gadgets and vehicles be included as possible. Actor Chris O'Donnell, who played Robin, made similar statements in Schumacher's defence. Considered the worst Batman film to date, 
many of the cast being apologetic to fans, and even consider the film a waste of money. Schumacher even states in the film's special features that his only intention with the film was to simply entertain, though many fans would even disagree with that statement. If I disappointed them in any way, then I really want to apologize, because it wasn't my intention. My intention was just to entertain them. Fans went quite a while without any new films, and whilst behind the scenes in many studio meeting rooms, a couple of ideas to reboot the Batman franchise were being talked about. But it wasn't until after 2002, when a Batman origin story, pitched by Josh Whedon, was rejected, that then a fairly new Hollywood success was hired by Warner Bros, alongside David S. Goyer, to script Batman Begins. This marks the beginning of what would become one of the most popular trilogies ever made, Directed by Christopher Nolan, The Dark Knight Trilogy. Goyer and Nolan set out for Begins to be a much darker story and more realistic than previous films, bringing new characters from the comics to screen, like Ra's al Ghul played by Liam Neeson, Jonathan Crane aka The Scarecrow played by Killian Murphy, as well as Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. Batman Begins creates a brand new chapter for Nolan, and for the legacy of Batman films. It sets out a new story for this new iteration of Bruce Wayne, and the inception of this Batman that all the fans were eager to see come out of the shadows after Bruce's training with the League of Shadows. And speaking of realism, Nolan went all out, crafting a much more grounded version of Gotham City, literally using Chicago as a backdrop, therefore connecting even more fans to the world of Gotham, and bringing Batman even closer to home. Begins was both critically and commercially a success, grossing 48 million in its opening weekend and gaining a global box office of over 370 million. Critics noted that fear was a common element throughout the film, and many celebrated its darker tone compared to previous films, all in all making it a box office hit. Following Begins came The Dark Knight in 2008. Nolan reprised his role as director and brought his brother Jonathan along to co-write the script. The Dark Knight brought three new faces to the screen again, with Harvey Dent aka Two-Face played by Aaron Eckert, Maggie Gyllenhaal replacing Katie Holmes as Rachel from the previous film, and of course, perhaps the jewel of The Dark Knight, with one of the most notorious iterations of the character brought to the screen again by Heath Ledger in his insane performance as the Joker. Here's my card. A performance that left an imprint in modern cinema, and perhaps one of the greatest performances of all time. The Dark Knight's Joker being one of the most grounded and realistic villains in DC and comic book history, with a performance that made the character feel so real, you could picture them in the real world. A character that was connected to this world by taking all of the attributes and mannerisms of the Joker from the comics, and creating real-world reasoning and possibilities for those character traits. And unlike a Joker that fell into a vat of chemicals and went insane, we ended up with a troubled middleman between the mob and all of the explosive crime in Gotham during the events of the film. The Dark Knight gave us some amazing set pieces and spectacles, with Nolan being the first filmmaker to use IMAX cameras on a feature film. Nolan and his cinematographer Wally Pfister created breathtaking scenes, including the notorious opening sequence of the bank robbery, which introduced the Joker a prologue that set the film apart from others, and went on to become Nolan's trademark in the opening of his films. One of the most memorable sequences, of course, being the truck flip in the middle of Chicago, sorry, Gotham, in which literally almost no CGI was needed, except for painting out the cannon under the truck that was required to flip it. 
It's no doubt that The Dark Knight was a hit, receiving critical acclaim and gaining a global box office of over a billion dollars, becoming the fourth highest grossing film of all time. However, despite its financial success, the film took a toll on one actor after filming. Ledger went to an extreme as the Joker, and something that deeply affected him after filming, which caused him to be on medication to try and help him recover. But ultimately, in January of 2008, he passed away from an overdose. He was posthumously awarded Best Supporting Actor for his outstanding performance as the Joker. A little while after The Dark Knight's release, Nolan began working on a rough outline for the sequel to The Dark Knight, and what would be the final film to make this trilogy. He finished his idea before committing himself to Inception in 2010. Meanwhile, David Goya returned, along with Nolan's brother Jonathan, to commence writing the script, before Goya eventually left to work on the Superman reboot, Man of Steel. In 2011, filming began on The Dark Knight Rises, bringing back to live action some old characters and fresh new faces for audiences. The infamous Bane, played by Tom Hardy, Selina Kyle, played by Anne Hathaway, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Robin, and Marion Cotillard as Miranda Tate. So eight years after the events of The Dark Knight, Rises introduces Bane to Nolan's Gotham and sets out to disrupt the city and its citizens. It continues in its action-packed set pieces, along with its grounded style and realistic feel. This film allows Robin to shine a little more and create the dynamic duo that is Batman and Robin, without forcing the identity of the dynamic duo down the viewer's neck. With the subtle hinting that this cop might be Robin, and the way he acts and works with Batman, though this isn't properly shown until the end when we finally find out his identity. Continuing in his collaboration with Wally Fister, Nolan carried on the partnership with IMAX in creating unique visuals and stunning set pieces that set this trilogy apart. Despite being over 10 years old now, this film still shines as a spectacle on the big screen. Upon release, Rises received a positive response and just like its predecessor was a box office hit, even outgrossing The Dark Knight with a global box office of 1.08 billion. Considered one of the greatest superhero films of all time and one of the best films of the 2010s, After the success of the Dark Knight trilogy, Warner Bros began focusing on much more DC films and shows. The next film including Batman would be Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice in 2016. Inspired by the Dark Knight Returns comics, fans finally saw a live-action theatrical version of Superman and Batman in the ultimate face-off. With Ben Affleck taking on the role as Bruce Wayne and Batman, and Henry Cavill reprising his role as Superman after the 2013 film Man of Steel. Brought to us by Zack Schneider, who also directed the previous film, and the likes of Dawn of the Dead, 300, Watchmen, and many more. This story took us down a rabbit hole, with Bruce Wayne coming to believe that Superman was a threat to humanity after his battle in Metropolis, so he decides to adopt his mantle of Batman and defeat him once and for all. The film continues mostly the same style as Man of Steel, with the obvious differences with Batman in this new iteration since Christian Bale's version. In March of 2016, Dawn of Justice was released, following a strong debut that set new box office records. However, the film took a drop in its second weekend and didn't recover. Despite this, the worldwide gross was over 870 million, making it the seventh highest grossing film of the year. It received mixed reviews from critics, though generally negative. However, an extended cut titled The Ultimate Edition did make some critics change their mind once they got to see this new version on home release later in 2016. Just a few months after the release of Dawn of Justice came Suicide Squad, of which it's not a superhero film, more like supervillain, 
but this being Ben Affleck's reprisal of the role, as the film follows on after the events of Dawn of Justice, and subsequently, the release within a few months of it too. Now, if you'll remember a small flashback, depicting the arrest of Floyd Lawton, or Deadshot, and Harley Quinn. He ends up rescuing Quinn after pursuing Joker, and apprehends Deadshot whilst he's shopping with his daughter. Then, besides just being mentioned, at the end of the film, Amanda Waller, who appears to know that Batman is Bruce, provides him with files on various metahumans in exchange for protection from Fallout. Bruce tells Waller to shut down Task Force X so his friends can handle future problems. Besides a reference to Batman in Wonder Woman 2017, this would be the last time we see Batman until the whole Justice League team came together. Shortly after Batman v Superman, Schneider began working on the next big DC project that had been in the works since 2007. In April of 2016, principal photography began on Justice League. However, Zack Schneider stepped down from the film following the death of his daughter. This led Josh Whedon to oversee the remainder of production. This included writing and directing the remainder of the shoot, as well as reshooting a large amount of the film before heading into post-production. Despite his absence, Schneider was fortunately still the sole creditor as director, but with an estimated budget of over $300 million, Justice League ended up being one of the most expensive films ever made. In November of 2017, the film was released, grossing over $657 million. However, the break-even point for the box office was $750 million, losing Warner Bros. an estimated $60 million. Whedon's involvement received major criticism, and as a whole, the film received mixed reviews and criticism against plot points pacing, amongst many other things. It had been a while since Whedon's Justice League, and fans wished they could see more of the original cut before Whedon was involved, in the belief that Snyder had shot enough material for a finished film. A campaign for Snyder Cut started. Arguments were made that Snyder's vision would be more cohesive to the previous films than Whedon's cut, in which Snyder had refused to see. Warner Bros. remained silent about any information regarding the intention of making a Snyder Cut. In March of 2019, he confirmed that his original cut exists, and that it would be up to Warner Bros. to release it. But this never came to fruition. It wasn't until Snyder teased on his Vero account some tapes labelled Zack Snyder's Justice League Director's Cut, that news finally spread, and there might be some hope for fans. In May of 2020, Schneider officially announced that HBO Max will be releasing his cut on their service in 2021. With a budget of 70 million to complete special effects, music, editing, and some additional shoots, originally Schneider planned to make it a four-part series, but later clarified it would be a four-hour long movie. Once the Schneider cut was released on HBO Max, it became the fourth most streamed film on the platform that year, and was considered superior to the 2017 theatrical release. Back in 2016, Todd Phillips was busy writing a new script for an original origin story about the Joker. In 2019, fans of the Joker and Batman got to see a new iteration of the Joker in a 70s style New York version of Gotham, with Arthur Fleck played by Joaquin Phoenix. Most fans were obviously unaware, but little did they know that a young Bruce Wayne would make an appearance in the middle of the film. This gave fans even more theories as to where this story could lead and how it could potentially connect to the Dark Knight trilogy or any other storylines. Or maybe, it was just a great way to get fans going about the potential for this story. Whilst news was circulating around the Snyder Cut, Ben Affleck signed on to direct, write, produce, and co-star in The Batman. 
but he had reservations about the project and ultimately dropped out. Though, for hesitant Batman fans, this may have been for the better when Matt Reeves took over and reworked the story, removing the DC connections and seeking to explore Batman's detective side more so than previous films, drawing inspiration from Hitchcock films and New Era Hollywood, plus taking inspirations from the comics like Year One, The Long Halloween and Ego. In 2019, Robert Pattinson was cast as Batman. Later joining the cast was Zoe Kravitz as Selina Carl, Jeffrey Wright as Gordon, Andy Serkis as Alfred, Colin Farrell as the Penguin, and John Turturro and Paul Dano as Falcone and the Riddler, respectively. The story took the audience on a brand new level of darkness, grittiness, and the overall themes of the thriller and horror genres, with Paul Dano fully embodying the Riddler in a brand new iteration of the character, as less of a Jim Carrey vibe and going down the John Doe feel of David Fincher's Seven. The film had a much darker tone than previous films, even compared to the Dark Knight trilogy, really tapping into the horror nature of the Riddler and his intricate puzzles and traps laid out for the corrupt establishment surrounding Gotham. Filming began in January of 2020, but was sliced in half due to the pandemic, causing production to be halted from March 2020 until later that year, before wrapping in Chicago in March of 2021. After the pandemic caused two delays to its original 2021 release in June, The Batman was released on March 4th, 2022, and was a commercial success, grossing over $770 million against a $185 to $200 million budget, making it the seventh highest grossing film of 2022. Receiving positive reviews from critics and praise for the performances, score, and unique cinematography. As of making this, the spin-off Penguin series is in the works in 2023, alongside another series, both set for HBO Max release, along with the much-anticipated Batman Part 2, finally announced and set to release in October 2025. As of February 2023, Batman fans have finally seen a glimpse at a return of Michael Keaton's Batman in The Flash, set to release later this year, whilst also noticing the appearance of Ben Affleck's Batman 2. Little can we see at the moment, but more for fans to look forward to later this year, along with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom coming in December this year. And following that, only one more film in the works so far, with the title The Brave and the Bold, with details still to be announced. So who is your favourite Batman? Any of these guys I've mentioned? Or perhaps you've not quite seen a live action version of your favourite Dark Knight yet? Let me know in the comments below and tell me what you think about any of the films I've mentioned. Would you have done anything differently with any of these stories? I'd love to know. But anyway, this has been a deep dive into the Batman in film, and I hope you enjoyed. If you did, please leave a like, and consider subscribing for more videos like this. My name's Patrick, this is Fortune Theory, thanks for watching.